Welcome to the Learning Languages and Society with Gabby podcast, where it's all about the fascinating world of languages and culture. Let's rock. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, my dear friends. This is episode number three. Yes. My name is Gabby and I'm your language coach, and I'm here to show you some really cool and fun ways to learn different languages. Today, we will be speaking about Italian and what makes it a truly beautiful language. But before that, we're going to learn some good old basic Italian grammar so that you start building sentences and start feeling more at ease with the language. So stay tuned for more. In our last episode, we had a quick look at the Italian alphabet and learned some new words too. In this episode, we will learn the basics of Italian articles and we will start reviewing the conjugation in the present tense of regular verbs. You will see with your own eyes as we move forward how we start building the grounds of what will become a solid house. Now, articles play a huge role in the Italian language and learning a few rules to use them will be of much help to start speaking Italian in a correct manner. For those who do not know what articles are, I will explain. Articles are words that identify a noun as being specific or unspecific. For example, Please give me a hammer and some nails to fix this chair. So in this statement, a hammer would be the, the indefinite article. A would be the indefinite article. And it means that any hammer could be of potential use for a given purpose. In this case, fixing the chair. Now compare that to please pass me the hammer and the nails from the shed to fix this chair. In this case, the hammer, definite article, tells us that we know exactly what hammer we are talking about. In other words, only that specific hammer is the one we need. As you know, in English, uh, we only have one definite article, the, and one indefinite article, a, pronounced often as a, simply. Very simple, right? Now, other languages have multiple articles, and this is the case of Italian. Let's have a look. So, to begin with, in Italian we have the definite article, l'articolo determinativo, the indefinite article, l'articolo indeterminativo, the partitive article, l'articolo partitivo, and we will learn how to use them properly in this section. So, let's get down to business. Let's review some grammar first. In Italian, we have two definite articles for the singular masculine, namely il and lo. We use il when we have a noun that starts with a consonant. Example, il pittore, the painter. Il ragazzo, the boy. And then we have lo. Lo is used in front of Words that begin with S followed by another consonant and not by a vowel. For example, lo strumento, the instrument. Il violino è lo strumento più difficile del mondo. Violin is the most difficult instrument in the world. The clusters of consonants, GN, PN, and PS. So GN is pronounced ñ. Examples. Lo gnomo, the gnome, as in, lo gnomo è una fiaba dei fratelli Grimm. 
The Gnome is a Tale by the Green Brothers. Lo pneumatico, as in lo pneumatico della macchina, the car tire. Lo psicologo, as in lo psicologo italiano, the Italian psychologist. Words starting with X and Z. Lo xilofono, as in lo xilofono non funziona più. The xylophone no longer works. Lo zaino, as in lo zaino è pieno di cose. The backpack is full of things. Lo yogurt. Lo yogurt è buono per la salute. Yogurt is good for health. L'amico. L'amico di Luca fa l'insegnante. Luca's friend is a teacher. And l'uomo, as in l'uomo è alto. The man, the man is tall. Now, singular feminine, la, before consonant. La casa, the house, la gonna, the skirt, la strada, the street. L apostrophe before vowel, l'università, the university, l'isola, the island. So that would be la università, l'università, la isola, l'isola. Now, Plurals. We've got plural masculine of il. That would be i in Italian. Now remember il pittore. And now we have the plural i pittori. Same goes for il ragazzo. Plural i ragazzi. And then we have the plural of lo, which would be gli. Before vowels and before s when followed by a consonant or before Z, in other words, where the singular was law. Examples. Lo xilofono, gli xilofoni. Lo zaino, gli zaini. Lo strumento, gli strumenti. And now in plural, the xylophones, the backpacks, the instruments. Same goes for plural feminine. Remember, we had la casa, and then plural feminine, le case, la gonna, le gonne, la strada, le strade, l'università, le università, la isola, l'isola, and le isole. And then we have uh, gli articoli determinativi. In English, we would say a dog, as in I see a dog, and in Italian we would say un cane, as in io vedo un cane. So we use un in Italian before consonants and vowels. For example, un padre, a father, un ragazzo, a boy. Uno, before words that start with S plus a consonant and before Z. Examples. Uno strumento, uno zaino. Then we have the singular feminine, una donna, una casa. Before vowel, we use the apostrophe. For example, una arancia. So we would, uh, we would put together the two words with an apostrophe. So that would be una arancia, una arancia. And then we have the partitive articles, articoli partitivi. 
In English, this could be roughly translated as some or any, which we use when we refer to, uh, to an specified amount or quantity. When it's not specific, so we would use the, uh, the partitive articles. An example would be Vuoi mangiare del pesce o del pollo stasera? Would you like to have some fish or some chicken this evening? Of course, in English, these sentences would be better translated as Would you like to have fish or chicken this evening? So the quantity is not specified, okay? So this is when we use uh, these uh, articles, the partitive articles. Now, the partitive articles are formed by combining the plus uh, the corresponding definite article il, lo, la, i, gli, le. An example of that would be di plus il del. Vorrei mangiare del pollo. I would like to eat chicken. Di plus lo dello. Mi serve dello zucchero per questa ricetta. I need some sugar for this recipe. Hai mangiato della frutta candida e disidratata? Have you eaten candied and dehydrated fruit? Di plus i, dei. Ci sono dei ragazzi biondi nella squadra tedesca. There are some blonde boys in the German team. Di plus gli, degli. Ho mangiato degli gnocchi ripieni di formaggio. I ate dumplings stuffed with cheese or gnocchi stuffed with cheese. Di plus le, delle. Nelle fiabe ci sono delle storie allucinanti. In fairy tales, there are hallucinatory stories, as in amazing stories. Okay, now let's have a quick look at the conjugation of regular Italian verbs. All Italian regular verbs can be divided into three different groups, as classified according to the ending of their infinitive forms. Verbs in the first group of uh, or first conjugation end in Are, such as abitare, mangiare, parlare o lavorare. For example, abitare, to live. Io abito, tu abiti, lui lei abita, noi abitiamo, voi abitate, loro abitano. So, I live, you live, he, she lives, we live, you live, they live. Example, io abito a Roma e mio padre a Firenze perché Roma è meno cara. I live in Rome and my father in Florence because Rome is less expensive. Now, mangiare. Io mangio, tu mangi, lui lei mangia, noi mangiamo, voi mangiate, loro mangiano. I eat, you eat, he, she eats, we eat, you eat, they eat. For example, you guys, plural, eat some chicken and potatoes could be roughly translated as Voi mangiate del pollo con delle patate. Okay, now, parlare. Io parlo, tu parli, lui lei parla. Noi parliamo, voi parlate, loro parlano. I speak, you speak, he, she speaks, we speak, you speak, they speak. We speak French, Italian and Spanish. Noi parliamo francese, italiano e spagnolo. Now, cucinare, so to cook. 
io cucino, tu cucini, lui lei cucina, noi cuciniamo, voi cucinate, loro cucinano. I cook, you cook, he cooks, she cooks, we cook, you cook, they cook. An example would be Luigi cooks great Greek food. Luigi cucina del buon cibo greco. Now, verbs in the second group or second conjugation end in ere, such as the case of perdere and correre. Perdere. Io perdo, tu perdi, lui lei perde, noi perdiamo, voi perdete, loro perdono. I lose, you lose, he she loses, we lose, you lose, they lose. Italians lose their Italian accents when they live in America. Gli italiani perdono l'accento italiani quando vivono in America. Now, verbs in the third group or third conjugation end in ire, such as dormire and aprire. Io dormo, tu dormi, lui lei dorme, noi dormiamo, voi dormite, loro dormono. I sleep, you sleep, he she sleeps, we sleep, you sleep, they sleep. Maria and Giada sleep well in the evenings. Maria e Giada dormono bene la sera. Io apro, tu apri, lui lei apre, noi apriamo, voi aprite, loro aprono. I open, you open, he she opens, we open, you open, they open. Example, the Italian women open the yogurts for the foreign students. Le donne italiane aprono gli yogurt per gli studenti stranieri. The main characteristic of the third group is that some verbs, such as capire, add the suffix isk between the root and the declination. An example of this would be uh, the verb capire. So, io capisco, tu capisci, lui lei capisce, noi capiamo, voi capite, loro capiscono. I understand, you understand, he she understands, we understand, you understand, they understand. Okay, great. Now, we've come this far, so so good, eh? Uh, now we're going to translate a few uh, sentences. So I'm going to give you a little exercise for you to practice. I am going to um, speak out a few words, a few phrases um, in English. And I would like to translate those sentences into Italian. Try to use all the, all the information given and, uh, and let's see how it goes. So the first would be, I eat candied and dehydrated fruit in the evening. And you eat pizza. That's our first sentence. Second sentence. Luca's friends speak Italian, but they don't understand English. Number three. The boy eats gnocchi filled with cheese, and the girl eats salad with tomatoes. Number four. Xylophones are expensive instruments. Number five. Alberto and Federico always miss their flight. Number six. The skirt and the backpack are at home. There you go. So translate those sentences into Italian and let's see how it goes. Now we have come to the second section of our episode, namely the science of language. Yes, great stuff. Okay, in our previous episode, we spoke about the arguments in favor of universal grammar. And we also spoke about the counter arguments for universal grammar. We said things like universal grammar is not exactly taken 
as the only viable hypothesis to explain language in human beings. We spoke about arguments in favor, such as the child language acquisition, convergency, uniformity, language recognition, and poverty of the stimulus, among others. We gave the counter-arguments for each one of them. So if you wish to recall what these were, please refer to the second section of episode number two. But now it is time to open up the doors of agreement and welcome a new take in the situation at hand. So why do I say all this? Oh, well, I recently read a paper written by Stephen Hartman and Michael Player named Constructing a Consensus of Language Evolution, Convergences and Differences Between Biolinguistics and Usage-Based Approaches. Uh-huh. Pretty interesting stuff is coming. So, why do I think this is a paper worth uh, talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there are currently two main approaches when it comes to language evolution. The first could be summarized as biolinguistics, which essentially states that language is based on a more general genetic foundation. And the other one, or rather the other ones, could be grouped in the usage-based approaches. In such theoretical approaches, domain general cognitive capacities, social cognition, and the interaction the interaction between humans are the key to understand language evolution. So you see the, the differences right there. At first glance, both could appear to be in opposition to one another or be just simply incompatible. However, recent studies have shown that both paradigms might not be incompatible after all, and the nature versus nurture dichotomy could be potentially erased. Both views focus primarily on the evolution of language, so let's keep that in mind. However, these two views have completely different takes on issues such as modularity, domain specificity versus domain generality, as well as innateness and development. I will explain each one of these sad issues in detail a little later. But for now, just keep these words in mind, okay? So, modularity, domain specificity versus domain genera generality, innateness and development. Both views have become interdisciplinary and empirically minded in their way of thinking, which has in turn made their conceptual evolution more alike. Both views have integrated results and new data from the cognitive and biological sciences, such as evolutionary developmental biology and complex adaptive systems. This fact seems to have made both perspectives come closer together. So, take into consideration uh, that the definition in this paper for biolinguistics and usage-based approaches are gross idealizations, according to the authors. All right? Now, the differences in the conceptualization of what language is, how it is represented, how it is acquired, and how it evolved, among others, is quite different and might not have a solution. Nevertheless, the point of the paper is to focus on where and how these two approaches converge. All right? First, uh, there will be a definition of what both perspectives are, and then there will be an explanation on where and, uh, and where they converge and where they diverge. In this episode uh, of the science of language, and in the following episode, we will follow the following scheme. First, we will discuss 
modularity and domain specificity. And then we will discuss emerging trends in the way innateness and development are conceptualized in biolinguistics and usage-based approaches. Second, we will take a look on how these recent developments influence the way these approaches investigate the biological and cultural evolution of language. And then, number three, we will then review how theoretical and methodological differences in both views set them apart. And lastly, there will be a summary of the convergence and divergence and the, and the potential bridges for communication. Okay, so usage-based approaches are essentially frameworks which share a number of important assumptions and are often grouped together under the umbrella of emergentism. Some of these frames are cognitive linguistics, construction grammar, and functional cognitive approaches. So, in a nutshell, we could say that usage-based approaches assign a key role to language usage. Meaning is use, and thus structures emerge from use. So that would be the, the premise. Meaning is use, and thus structures emerge from use. Now, linguistic knowledge and knowledge of constructions basically emerge when abstracting actual language use in context, resulting in big chunks of language, as well as cognitively set abstractions. These views reject universal grammar and the concept of innateness. Obviously, they reject the fuzzy concept of a mental organ, and thus they reject the concept of modularity, which I will explain later on. Why? Well, because language is seen as a continuous. Language, according to this view, can be described as a complex adaptive system. Although usage-based approaches have traditionally focused on the cognitive organization of language in present-day speakers or on developments in the traceable history of human languages, the view of language as a complex adaptive system and the processes of cultural evolution in language history could have led to the very emergence of language. Now, there seems to be a possible connection between the complex adaptive system view of language and those trends of language evolution research that focus on the cumulative cultural evolution of language, such as iterated learning, which is a theoretical approach in language evolution. Now, iterated learning, uh, for those who don't, don't know, describes the process whereby an individual learns their behavior by exposure to another individual's behavior who themselves learned it previously in the same way. So it could be seen as a key mechanism of cultural evolution. So Michael Tomasello, um, a famous researcher I mentioned before, has proposed an elaborate theory of the evolution of language, as well as cultural cognition and species-specific symbolic behavior more generally. Okay, so that is it for now. Thank you so much for having listened to me again. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I, I did making it. And we will be reviewing the second part of uh, this really interesting paper. Uh, we'll be discussing all the matters of science of language. And I really hope that you enjoyed it. And please uh, don't forget to subscribe to my uh, to my podcast and and try to do the exercises and learn the the different kinds of articles we have in Italian and and let me know if you have any doubts later on bye bye